Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the high-octane Paul Spencer, Operations Director at the beautiful Apart Hotel Creators, Locke. Coming up on today's show... Paul reveals that he socialises with house elves. And I came out the other side of it, really had a, had a good time at Dobby's. Phil and Paul show their love for their dogs. I actually mostly talk kinder to my dog, actually. I can relate to that. (laughs) And Paul recounts a slight out-of-depth experience. I remember the first day I was there, I was like, okay, this is looking good. An hour later, I'm on the pass trying to work out how I've got like three and a half thousand checks to deal with. All that and so much more as Paul chats us through his epic journey so far. Paul talks with incredible energy and passion about his craft and demonstrates how far you can go when you apply that, along with a desire to keep learning. I was hugely grateful to him for giving me the time in his hectic schedule, especially as Locke continued to grow. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Now, I'm super delighted to get some time with today's guest as he's, well, one busy individual, I think that's fair to say, but is also leading operations for one of the most exciting brands in the hotel and specifically the apart hotel scene. So a massive welcome to the Director of Operations for the Eden Group, Paul Spencer. Thank you very much. That's quite an intro to live up to for the rest of the interview, isn't it? No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you doing anyway? Yeah, really good, thanks. You know, it's it's an exciting time for us and our industry, isn't it? As we, you know, we sit between the limbo of reopening and fully open. It's great to see life coming back into cities. It's great to see life coming back into the business. So yeah, I think, you know, it's the blend of an exciting time as our country reopens and a more exciting time for us as we double in size this year. So it's quite some, those two things alone, I think are two full-time jobs. For sure, and well, I could kind of lend weight to that because while we're here meeting, this is the first meeting podcast that I've done since a year gone February. So, and and here we are on the 28th. Yeah, better. No no pressure again, (laughs) no pressure pressure again. Um, So yeah, explain where we are today. So we're in uh, Berman's Lock in Bermondsey, um, which is one of our newest locks. Um, it's an incredible apart hotel. Uh, we have a co-working space, coffee shop, uh, amazing restaurant, and over 130 apartments here as well. It's got a beautiful courtyard, and it's, it's a hotel that's in its infancy, really, I suppose. We've never had a chance to test and prove it. So while we reopened, well, we opened last year, this stage of reopening is kind of relaunching the brand as well for us. So, right. uh, yeah, it's a really exciting time. And I think, yeah, Bermondsey, what you can see here, uh, designed by Holloway Lee, has got a great story behind it. Uh, as you walk around, you'll see that come into play a bit more, all about Mojave Desert. It's a good link into Bermondsey. Of course. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, we, we design really soulful spaces and Bermondsey is one of these. So, yeah, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, well, well, even just walking down from Liverpool Street today, Bermondsey's transformed and is continuing to transform. Yeah. So I guess strategically there's probably, there's, it wasn't just, oh, there's a space, let's develop it. There's, look what's happening here, let's kind of be part of that change. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we... Uh, we own our property, so for us it's an important part of our strategy as well. We've just uh, opened another property in Dalston, again, so yeah. another area which is really up and coming. And it's important that we have locations that not only are suitable for 
the type of business that we are, but also the guest type that we're looking for as well. You know, that sort of digital nomad, people that are looking to travel and be part of something, but equally looking for their own individual space as well. Yeah. Which is why you'll notice today the hotel is a, a busy place, you know, even though we're not fully open yet. Yeah. Just the amount of residents that we have, key workers that are staying with us, and the importance of those locations to them. Yeah, I mean, that's really exciting already because you're not fully open not and yet. yet you still have a buzz when you walk into the to reception. Yeah, and that's kind of core to what we do, really, because um, you know, we're staffing light model. Lock is a, is a light staff model, but actually what's core of that is human interaction. And we really, we really focus a lot of our time and a lot of our resource to making sure we find the right people to work with us. Now, everyone says that. But actually living and breathing, that's a really hugely important part of what we do. And your cultural fit over your technical skills can sometimes be more important. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I think that's uh, prevalent in uh, you're, you're doing something new. And so you're effectively des- designing your own culture at the same time. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I'm really privileged, right? I work with some amazing people and surrounded by some amazing people. And uh, I sit on the senior leadership function for the business. And we had our first face-to-face meeting. So the first time I've seen some of them, you know, I started my job in lockdown. So yeah. most of my meetings with my peers have been on Teams. But we had a senior leadership team meeting a few weeks ago, now about five weeks ago. And half a day was that, it was purely dedicated to people. Now, a lot of companies talk about it, but actually I sat there, pens down, just pure focused on what do we want to be, how do we want to be known, who do we want to talk to? And to have a business that at that level is dissecting it in that detail, you know, the pride that that brings is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, before you got to here, there's a whole story of <laughs> how, you, uh, how you arrived here. So if you'll uh, indulge us, take us all the way back to the, to the beginning. How, do, how the hell did you get into hospitality in the first place? Uh, okay, so um, I got into hospitality as a chef. Actually, is how Did you I got, really? Yeah. Right. Even you're surprised by that. Yeah, well, right? do you know, I tried to do some research on you. I know, I'm like a... Yeah, it went back so far, and I was like, okay, so very seasoned GM and beyond, but before that, no idea how you kind of got there. I think, look, let's let's talk very openly about it, which is that, you know, I was never very successful at school. You know, I I came out of school with not a lot, um, a bit of dented pride, uh, being crap at rugby, and, you know, most probably not really having the education that my parents really wanted me to have. I just never found... It didn't fit. It didn't fit how I wanted to learn that classroom sort of style. Uh, and I learned a lot about myself. So I went off to college, uh, went to South Downs College on the South Coast. And it's, that's where I really discovered myself. You know, I studied cookery and, you know, genuinely my life changed from there, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, I, I kind of had always been passionate about cookery and I didn't really understand why. It only turns out later that that sort of practical application of what you learn was really important to me. And, you know, that sort of creative, artistic talent that sits uh, within you is a huge part of what we do. So, yeah, I was privileged, you know, I've worked, uh, I've worked in Rouen, worked in Paris, came back into London again, worked here. I've done a lot of chef roles in a lot of places. And my, one of my favourite jobs was a little part-time chef at a pub, you know, it's just little bits where you learn and, you know, get involved yeah. in it. And, you know, my chef career was great and, and I really enjoyed it and uh, I met some of the brothers and sisters that work in hospitality, you know, I admire anyone that works behind the pass or in front of the pass. You know, they have the toughest job in our business and, you know, the skill that comes with that, I think is admirable, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, and we've all had a good day and a bad day behind the pass and they are sweaty at the best of times, I would yeah. say. So, uh, I think the thing that I noticed more of being a chef is that there was something missing. I didn't really understand what that was at that time. 
and I started to become really career focused. I started really wanting to learn. Um, what age were you at this point? Roughly? Oh, early twenties. Right. I benchmarked myself around there. Don't ask me how old I am now because I can't even tell you. Yeah, that's uh, fine. That's not, that's not less on the list of three <laughs> <through> questions. <laughs> um, and uh, what I discovered is I'm, you know, I, I was working with some amazing people in kitchens, and you know, some of my best friends for life. You know, I've made there. Actually, a lot of my best friends for life I've made in the kitchen. Um, but I was missing the energy, and the energy was that I wasn't surrounded by people and in a different way. So I moved front of house, so I did the ultimate chef sin, which was what I became a waiter, which is, you know, in, in the, well, I'm mostly going to be disowned at this podcast, get released, but, you know, a lot of things will happen. But um, Sorry, this is going out publicly. I think, you know, for me, it was about having, it's about putting your ego to one side and your pride to one side and understanding actually what you want to attain out of your life. And I realized school wasn't for me, but what I did realize is there was something for me. And that thing was hospitality. So. I moved front of house, uh, you know, I learned quick and fast uh, um, about how you do things. I but got, does that, I mean, having spent some time behind the pass, yeah. did that make you a better front of house person because you kind of had an understanding of how the, the inner workings of a kitchen? It certainly meant I didn't get picked on by the chefs because right. I spoke their language, but um, cooking teaches you multi-skilling. And to be anything good front of house, multi-skilling is a core part of what you do, understanding yeah. multiple challenging situations at one time. So yeah, there was that. But it also, you know, I had pretty good chat because being back of house, obviously it's a banter-filled environment uh, outside yeah. of service. So I had all of that going for me. And, you know, I threw myself into it. I remember one of the sort of defining jobs for me was I got a job in a hotel in Bournemouth called the Carlton. And I was a general assistant, which which basically meant you did all of the crap jobs that no one else wanted you to do. You right. had to kind of work your way through them. It's a learning experience. Yeah, it was, but that's the best thing that it gave me, actually, is, you know, I got to work in housekeeping, I got to work on reception, I got to work in all of these areas that I'd never seen or understood. Yeah. And I caught the bug. Instantly, I caught the bug. And it became, it that became what I wanted to be and how I wanted to be it. So I, I've always been lucky in my career to be able to vision very carefully two or three roles ahead of where I want to be so I've always I've always been laser focused on that so what that's enabled me to do is shape my learning shape my contacts ask the right questions to get there so as this sort of general assistant I knew I wanted to be a GM but at the time the step from one to the other was ridiculous so I thought okay I need to learn I need to learn how finance works I need to learn how we do purchase orders. you know I need to learn all of this stuff yeah. how do we sell rooms so um, very humbly I spent my time off shift with the finance controller or the revenue manager and just asked asked and asked a million questions and you know I'm grateful to them my approach from the Carlton then was to the Grand Harbour in Southampton a lovely five-star hotel I became a director of F&B for them. Was that, was that a Devere at the time? It was a Devere, yeah. working with a guy called Steve Dunford, who's still in my life to this day, actually. Uh, he talks faster than me. Um, I think that's where I <laughs> really? caught it. Yeah, no, I know. I think that's where I caught it from. But it's also where I met my mentor, who is still in my life today, a guy called David Walker. And David, up until last week, is still giving me counsel and advice, which is, I think it's important throughout your career you meet people who keep you grounded. Yeah. David certainly keeps me grounded. There's, uh, he sent me a message the day saying he's glad that I've toned my swearing down. Um, you know, and I'm, a, you know, I'm in my mid forties. The fact that he'll send me that, I think, is great. Um, so, started at the Grand Harbour. I'd moved into this F&B role. I knew it was my strength because I understood back of house and front of house. 
and it was a five-star hotel, so it was my first real chance to get into it and understand what hospitality was all about. Yeah, it's actually a, a hotel that I know well because uh, my start in hospitality came on cruise ships ah, with B&O, and, um, and I always used to just recommend that hotel for anybody that wanted, you know, it was probably the, yeah, it was a really dramatic atrium, right? I mean, but it was probably the, the premier of all the hotels in Southampton at that time. Yeah, um, and that would, for me, that would have been early 2000s. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that was Devere's pride, right? It was on the South Coast, they had the Royal Bath, they had uh, yep. the Grand Harbour, and then obviously the Grand in Brighton as well. So it was the, the three old ladies of the South Coast. Uh, so working for Steve um, at the Grand Harbour, I learned a lot. I learned a lot fast as well because suddenly I was into, you know, big restaurants, banqueting for I think it was up to six hundred and fifty people. All things that were relatively new for me, and I put myself in a dangerous situation. I got a job that I was overpromoted for, but my passion and hunger said that I will learn how to do it. I will just if I'm yeah. if I'm working later and earlier than everyone else to make sure I'm successful, then I'll do it. You know, it was um, it was quite a defining moment. Those I think I was there nearly four years with Steve actually. You know, it's a massive part of who I shape myself into at the end of the day. That relentless quest for knowledge, that acceptance, that actually building a better team around you than you are at those tasks is the huge core of successful leadership. Yeah. Because I made a lot of mistakes along the way, right? You know, you, you if you're not careful as you get promoted through hospitality, you start to believe your own hype, when in reality you have to just be humble and accepting of the challenges that face you. So, Grand Harbour was a great step for me. I've met David, I was working with Steve. I actually met a lot of my friends that I still talk to today. We've all gone on different career paths, right? I've stayed in hospitality, but you know, um, love those guys dearly. When I was talking to David, who was my ops director there, uh, I told him that I wanted a GM's job. So he said, oh, if you want a GM's job, DGM's the next step for you. Uh, how mobile are you? And I was like, well, I don't really know. How mobile do I need to be? Well, you're moving to Warsaw. So uh, uh, so up to Birmingham we went. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it, you know, that was quite a defining moment. But for me, career was so important that, you know, my wife Lucy at the time was very, very focused that that's what we had to do as a family. Um, so my first son, Charlie, was born in Birmingham. So I had a heavily pregnant wife when we moved, right. uh, moving to a location we didn't know with no friends around us. And you know, I was committed to a lot of work and having that support network you around, around you is really important. So I took over a DGM of Village Warsaw, it was actually. So still within the De Vere group at the time. Yeah, well, Village were... Um, uh, Blowing up at the yeah, time. It was dude, one of those, yeah, it was yeah. one of those. And this was a new build. So I got to see my first new build. I worked with a general manager called David Sims. Again, an, another good uh, influence on my life. And yeah, it's the first time I've been to the build experience. So, you know, all of the fun, the fun that came of working out of the porter cabin, the pain that came of working out of a porter cabin, you know. It's, uh, and it was the first time I really learned about setting it up. Like, how do you set up a function? How do you genuinely set up a restaurant from scratch? How do you set up a bar from scratch? How do you set up a leisure club from scratch? And the sort of stra the strategic view you need to have on doing that and the people you recruit, and massive yeah. part of it. So, again, most probably a little bit overpromoted, if I'm honest. You right. know, most probably one of those things that, at the time, I was. I always think you should be in a job that gives you a little bit of anxiety and a lot of excitement because you just. <laughs> I I thrive on that teetering piece where I'm. Am I good enough? Can I do this? Is this enough? Am I going to be okay? And yet, performance and good results and everything that comes out of the bat because. I need the heady balance of stress and insecurities to sort of keep me going. Right. Um, and this was one of those moments. But uh, you also need people to see 
that you can kind of deal with that, right? That and you wouldn't, nobody would give you that opportunity if they didn't see something in you. Yeah, most likely. And also the passion that you have for the industry, I think, is important. You know how I talk about the business and how I talked about what I wanted to achieve within that. You know, hospitality has been my home for thirty years. You know, it's a huge part of who I am as a person as well. And slowly over over time. Any work persona and personal persona have just blended into pools. So I, the person that is at work today talking to my team today is the same person that goes home and talks to my wife and my kids and, right. and, yeah. uh, and my dog. I actually mostly talk kinder to my dog, actually. I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, here we are at Village Warsaw. Very uh, interesting experience. Working with David, open it. Really, really good. Really amazing, actually. And you know, I, I, I learned a lot. We did a lot. We then changed general managers. Uh, David left and I had a new general manager came in. And this was most probably one of the most pivotal parts of my career. Uh, the general manager who came in, I just didn't agree with. And at a young age, you know, you go through a few, you know, why don't I agree with him? Why is he suddenly jarring with who I am as a person? And you start to realize you're defining your leadership style. You're starting to realize that actually my core values are now starting to come out in how I approach my people and my team and what I want and the desires that are within that. And this gentleman just didn't agree with it. And it was him that made me want to be a GM more than anything because I wanted to be the opposite of what he was. He actually drove me harder than any success I've ever had because he was the epitome of everything I despised about the industry. And that was, it's a huge thing to say, but genuinely a massive moving part of my life. So I quit. I just did it, jacked it. Because that, that's, that's kind of... You, I think you've got to have the courage of your conviction in, in that moment, haven't you? Because you're, there's a clash and you're not moving in the, the same direction and you might as well... Kill it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, I was still young. I had a young baby and, you know, all of the other things that were happening, but um, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't compromise my personal value set to do that. So uh, I met, uh, uh, coincidentally, another influential person in my career, a guy called David Guile, actually written a really good book. That's yeah, a yeah, plug yeah. for David's book there. Yeah. I'll see if I can get some commission off of that. Actually. <laughs> but, uh, well, so it's actually, um, at the, he, did, he did a leadership event. He did. That's where you and I uh, bumped into each other at the, uh, in the, the lunch queue. Wasn't it at the Comrade we did that? I think. It was, yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was a panel speaker there. That was quite good. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got hammered, actually, that. Not in alcohol, I mean, on the panel. But um, <laughs> it was quite a testing one. So I met David, and uh, I was interviewing to become a general manager for McDonald Hotels. Now, you know, it's, it's your first general manager's job is, you know, baptism of fire, and everyone thinks they're ready and you're never ready. It's the same vernacular as if you're a parent. You know, you've never got enough money and you've never got enough time, so just jump in right. and get on with it, right? So. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed with David for a hotel in uh, Milton Keynes called the Parkston, and I think it was, don't quote me on this, where you're going to, but it's 48 bedrooms, I think it was, right. this cute little white building, and obviously coming from the 200 bedroom Grand, uh, Grand Harbour Five Star Hotel to this village of also, I think, 150 rooms, 5,000 uh, 5, member leisure club, this little 50 bedroom country house hotel in Milton Keynes, but it was mine. And it was my first one. So yeah. I remember going through the interview. I met a lot of people in the process. David gave me the opportunity. And it's because of him I became a general manager. And, you know, I, I owe him that. Actually, it's because of the GM before that I didn't get on with. And equally, uh, then because of David. It's funny how the rich tapestry of life, though, right? It just all of these, if you analyse every single thing that happens to you, you yeah. can kind of blow your own mind about yeah, how the stars get aligned or, or whatever. Completely, and I think what's uh, important for us is accepting the fact that 
even on your best days or your worst days, there's still going to be things that influence you. And I think, yep. you know, if anything, after today, when you're listening to this, I think it's the, the thread of people that you have in your life and who you surround yourself with that will have the most influence on your success more than anything else. Someone who can tell you when you're doing good and someone who also has got it in them to give you credible feedback over anything else. Yeah. So I met David, got the job. I remember, I remember, oh my God, the nervous energy I had taking over that role. And I wasn't nervous about, I wasn't nervous about the service. I wasn't nervous about the restaurant. I wasn't, all that I knew. I suddenly became really nervous about health and safety. Like I suddenly became totally anxious about it because suddenly all the guests are my responsibility, all the team are my responsibility. Right. When was the last time we did a fire drill? First question I asked when I walked in, didn't even say hello. I was like, just showing me a bit of paper. Hi, I'm Paul. Yeah, hi, I'm Paul. Where's the fire test? Uh, because, uh, you know, suddenly, suddenly I'm practically accountable for people. And that was a huge challenge. And, you know, David coached me incredibly well through that. A lot of pragmatically approaching what we did but what David's skill was, he gave you enough, he gave you a framework to work within and then gave you the freedom to play within that arena. Right. And so your success and your failure was governed by you in that frame. And I loved it. I learned so much. Um, it certainly brought out the entrepreneurial nature within me. I'd only been, I'd only been at the Parkside 11 months before I met Donald McDonald. Came down to me. We had afternoon tea together, as Donald does. He loves an afternoon tea. Right. And uh, he asked me to move to Edinburgh. So uh, there's a hotel called the Holyrood there. You know, I'm a first-time GM. Eleven months into the gig, the owner of the company sat in front of me. <laughs> I remember vividly the conversation. I was absolutely. I bought a new shirt because I wanted it to be the whitest of white shirt. Yeah. And every time I turned my head, it rubbed my neck. So I think by the end of talking to him, I just had this sort of stiff upper body that I moved in one entirety. And when I got home that night, a red ring around my neck. So um, yeah, I wanted it to be, I was so, it was so important that I'd made a good impression. And we had this conversation. He wanted me to go up there, give me a call tomorrow and tell, tell me what you want to do. So uh, I phoned David and I was like, okay, that's, that's curveball exciting. You know, David, uh, David was a regional at the time, so I'd be moving into another person's region. Yeah. And, and he, he supported it and thought it was a really good move for me. So I had to go home, speak to my wife, say, guess what? I know we've just moved from here to here to here to here. Yeah. Happy and settled, are you? We're off, yeah, happy and unsettled. <laughs> uh, pack the baby up, we're off again. Um, and then I'm living in Edinburgh. Another whirlwind experience, I think. Again, I'd gone from 50 rooms, say, for a little bit of a rounding error, to 200 rooms at the Holyrood. Right. So while that, while in today's world that seems quite easy, as a young man, I was in my late 20s, early 30s, this was quite, um, quite a thing. And also, moving country, that's how I'd convinced myself it was important, and <laughs> a, a capital city. So you know, yeah, all of these yeah. triggers, you're like, wow, this, is, this has got to be it. But also, and, so that was a property, if I remember rightly, that the, that the owner really ha- had a lot of time for. Uh, yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. It was the only <laughs> photo of the hotel that was in the boardroom. Right. Where the board met. Yeah. So, you know, I knew I was buggered if I got it wrong. Uh, yeah. But he cared a lot about the business. So you do get yourself sometimes into death and glory. And, you know, running, running the nearest property, hotel, restaurant, nearest head office is my biggest counsel for anyone who wants to become hyper-growth more than anything else because you'll meet everyone. You get the chance to profile yourself better than any other GM within the business. So really important. Had a great time there, great time at the Holyrood. You know, a lot of fundamental things there changed my life about how I run business, people that I met, how I worked. 
And then I was on the move again that we'd had a challenge at Portal, which was our new golf resort. You know, I said I knew about golf, obviously. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so suddenly I'm running three golf courses. Knew that there were clubs. Yeah, yeah, no. I, you know, I, I think the only thing I knew about golf was uh, an expression my friend had, which was that it was a great way to ruin a fabulous walk. Yeah. Uh, I can't even qualify that quote by who said it. But um, So uh, I had this conversation. Do you want to go? We need, a, we need a GM to come down here and look after it. Off you go. So, yeah, no problem. Have we unpacked Edinburgh yet? Okay. Guess what, we're moving again, we're gonna go. Cheshire is where we're now moving to. Now, you know, this part of the process was difficult, really difficult because one, I didn't know anything about golf. So uh, I put myself in a situation where I needed to learn super fast. We had a massive spa, I needed to learn that super fast. And the only way to do that was to be really humble and ask the right questions and get on with it and be yeah. led by the leaders of those functions. So no matter what, where I got to in my career, this is my third GM's job, I was always inquisitive. I, the how and the why were really important to me. And I think, you know, early on in my career, and I openly accepted it, this is where my marriage failed because, you know, I'd moved these guys around so much. We lived in so many different houses. I think my kid had a half Scott, Charlie, his name is, uh, he's actually taller than me at nearly 6'5 now. <laughs> uh, it's got that sort of brummy Scottish, now we're in Cheshire accent going on. Um, Travelled. Yeah, he was a well-seasoned, well-travelled. but. The sacrifice I'd made at the time was my, my marriage for that for that part of my career, right. and um, I was really grateful, very well supported. But you know, I accepted the fact that that was the cost of it, and difficult to come to terms with at the time. But the reality of it, all of that, is why I'm here today talking to you on this. And you have to, you know, come to terms with some of the things that you've lost or gained along your journey as part of the process and part of your road. And you know, we yeah. all deal with that and. I think it's important to openly talk about it and be very, you know, mindful about how you approach these things. Yeah. So here I am um, in Cheshire, uh, learning about golf. Crazy, really crazy. And it was a joint venture as well. And the joint venture was a challenge. We had to manage that relationship. So my first time, I wasn't just working in a hotel that was owned and operated by someone. Suddenly now, it's there's another person involved in it, and you, you learn thick and fast, right? You learn thick yeah, and yeah. fast how that works. David, by this time, had made into made himself the, I think it was Chief Operating Officer or Chief Executive Officer at McDonald's, so that uh, my early mentor was moving up through the ranks as well, very supportive through the process. So I'm there, um, working it out, uh, having a really good time actually, starting to understand a little bit about myself, bigger team, so now, you know, ranges on the golf course to spa to all of these things, much more diverse. You know, I, I was a chef not so many years ago, so now yeah. all of a sudden, um, having to go through that and it was growing pains it was like my best description is being a teenager as an adult so you know, you're inquisitive and wondering why and trying to understand it all and the one thing that was important to me is always always being mindful of the fact that I didn't know so ask the questions surround yourself with the right people so off in McDonald I go I then go to Frimley Hall as a general manager with them so now I'm back down to London again so uh, at Frimley Hall in the Beristead is where I uh, ended my time with McDonald Hotels. Great, you know, they taught me a lot about finance, very cost-centric business, taught a lot about managing big groups of people and taught me a lot about being adaptable. And all of those things have played into my career later on. Yep. From there, I moved to Q Hotels, so I became a regional for Q. Um, because I blagged the golf experience with Portal, <laughs> hey presto, I'm suddenly running three golf resorts in the north of England. And these were big, 
the Forest Pines, yeah, uh, yeah. Westerwood, you know, these are big properties, well, big, serious properties. My first regional role, so now I'm managing other GMs as well. well um, that means you can kind of get away with it then, can't you? Just yeah, it well, I got here, right? So it was, um, <laughs> I got here through humility, and I think ultimately now I was starting to really understand my leadership style and my approach. I still don't think I totally understand it today, sat here with you, because I think as we evolve and culture evolves, our styles need to evolve with that as well. Yeah. Um, so here I am, uh, three golf resorts up in the north, still living in London, so in Putney, driving up to the north on a Monday, driving home on a Friday in my really old Vauxhall Vectra. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, hey, that was my whip at the time. I was well proud of it. It was silver. It was one of <laughs> it was a highlight of my life. I knew it was good because I had a CD player that to plug in with one of those tape things. It was really cool. Yeah, I was really happy with that. Yeah. Um, it gave me a lot of time for self-reflection. It was the first time I was really working away from home. And you know, I used to use the evenings to really read a lot and study a lot and just understand more about me. And I think that really helped shape me into this day. I still do. You know, I've just finished uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear and I'm in the process of reading Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And if you haven't listened to that, podcast or book then that needs to be your number one thing to do after listening to this right. honestly the list of books that I keep getting recommended <laughs> just, just it's good like though this. isn't it I mean that's how yeah, we're learning now absolutely, I think it's a good absolutely. thing so uh, here I am um, as I'd said at the beginning I'd always been focused on what I wanted next to be and next to me was getting back into London running a hotel in London that had always been my thing right. so every step I was making every interview that I had and I started interviewing for London jobs most probably most probably at the Beresty when I was there. And, you know, it was, you don't have London experience. You don't have, you know, you don't, have, that was the common thing, you don't have London experience. But without anyone telling you that you need to get into London to get London experience, you know, it's one of those things that it felt like the impossible task. So I spoke to David, obviously my mentor, and he was like, look, the best way to crack London is to go and become a regional because you'll come into London as a, as a lone site. But the fact you've done regional will really help your credibility when you come into London. Right. So I was like, fine, that's where the Forest Pines decision came from. So my step into these larger resorts was not because I wanted to step in the larger resorts, it's because I wanted London. Two steps ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. always yeah. thinking two steps ahead. Yeah. And you know, I had some good times and bad times. You know, golf was a difficult thing to manage. Uh, all of those things were really difficult. You know, culturally, it was a business that I didn't really settle in. And I think I never truly settled within Q. And that was a grind, it was tough. But I knew what the step was and I knew the process that I was going through to get to where I wanted to be. It also taught me very quickly that you should have pride and passion to say that you work somewhere and that should be integral to what you're doing. And if it isn't fitting, equally have the balls to say, it's just not me, and yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. And that really taught me that. So, I want London, I want London. All of the, my friends that are recruiters are like, look, we'll get you in somehow. I interviewed for a few, you know, you'll step down to a DGM. I was like, you know, I want London, but not at the sacrifice of my soul, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm willing to step down to a, a GM, but next you'll say, I need to go back to being a chef and work my way back up. That's just not cutting the mustard. Yeah. So I had this I, opportunity. I, kind of underst- I understand that you kind of need to under- you know, know local marketplaces and things like that, but at the same time... Yeah, but I didn't know Edinburgh. I didn't exactly. know Edinburgh. I was just about to make the point that you're, you know, you've, you've always stepped into somewhere and you learn yeah. why should London be any different. It's the holy grail, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. where everyone wants to get to. And I, I, I finally understood why when I got in. Uh, spoiler alert to what yeah. happens next, by the way. So, I interviewed with ISG, a guy called Peter Brennan. 
Peter was running the managed estate for LRG as part of IHG's framework in London. A really cool guy. And you know, I credit I credit Peter openly to a lot of what happened after IHG actually. Right. Uh, so I got I got I got the job. I got it. I nailed it. I got the job. So I was um, general manager holiday in Mayfair. Ironic because obviously I'd worked at Langham's over the road. So there was this feeling of circularity to my career where that as a chef is where I had been and now as a where I dreamed of being a general manager in London as that early young chef this is where I ended up now it's, it's mental isn't it yeah. running the business and then looking at it so I remember by this time I, I, I found another partner um, Arlene who was in the industry uh, which which gave me more flexibility around understanding the industry Lucy wasn't so I think that helped and I remember going taking her for dinner in Langham's just having a bangers and mash, which was one of the things I used to cook, and sitting there, and it was a real oh my god moment. That you know, it's still the same waiting staff, by the way. It's still the same restaurant manager. They're all still in there. Yeah. And going down, seeing uh, Dennis downstairs, and you know, seeing some of the chefs. I don't know. There was just this, this serendipitous moment, right, where it all comes round again. And I think this, if you visualise where you want to be, it's going to help. So here I am running this hotel, learning London met a really amazing network of London GMs, two of which, uh, Matthew and Simon, are still, I would class them as my closest friends today, because uh, it's a community. What I learned yeah. about London is that network is important, expectations are really high. I mean, I was running a Holiday Inn with, you know, average room rates over 200 quid. Yeah. Still a Holiday Inn product, right? Uh, so it was my first real foray into branded, so learning about that. Managed and owned relationship, my first foray into that. Suddenly, I'm in a global company as well. Suddenly, you know, I was doing my induction in Paris, and you're like, I don't really, I don't really yeah. understand what's happening in my life. Uh, <laughs> and God, every day was just, every day was learning hard because London market, as we know, is all one day, nothing the next day. It's yeah. more midweek than it is weekend. So all of these things that are the opposite of where I was in provincial properties. Couldn't get a golf course on. Yeah, I was so bloody glad about that. That would be amazing. <laughs> Um, worked with some cool people. Michelle, one of our revenue managers, taught me a lot more about revenue than I learned up until that day. I used to have a competition with her where I would try and figure, do the revenue strategy myself. Like if it came between me and her, how we would do it. Obviously mine never won. There was this one day it did. And I remember taking a selfie with her and posting it all over every social network possibly that I could. Because <laughs> the day I beat my revenue manager. You know, in all the time that I was there, it was only happened one day. But... Yeah. I'm still talking about it to this day, right? Out, and yeah. uh, I'll send this to Michelle to make sure she can hear this because <laughs> she'll be reveling in the fact that every other day she beat me. But I worked with some amazing brains and uh, an opportunity came up in IHG. Uh, by this time, I'd won GM of the year. We'd had Hotel of the Year under my belt. Uh, you know, we were racking it up thick and fast. We had the best guest satisfaction uh, scores in London. So all of the stuff around people and culture and everything that I'd learned about managing teams, I was putting into play. So they were right. I did need to be a regional to come back. I did need to have that more helicopter view to a business than being so micro and thinking about it as yeah. one hotel. So in fairness, and I owe it to them, all that council was right. So uh, a job came up and a, a job came up was head of boutique operations, looking after Hotel Indigo at the time. Europe, Russia and Israel and I was like man that sounds really hot I loved lifestyle propositions it was how I it's where we spent most of our time Arlene was currently people and culture director for Firmdale so we knew it really well and I was like no I'm just gonna chuck it in right have a crack at it and see how I get on I'm a single GM in holiday in Mayfair let's see how we go wow I got it 
like it was incredible I met Didier uh, who was uh, the head of the function he looked so we looked after all intercontinent all five stars and lifestyle in that function yeah Didier was the king of five-star hotels right uh, taught me a lot very French he asked me if I liked French people that was the first question he asked in the interview <laughs> which I thought was amazing very tongue-in-cheek um, and I knew from then his humor and our alignment in terms of culturally and what we wanted to achieve was super there so you know I was lucky um, working with Stephen McCall, who was my final interview for it. Stephen, at the time, was Chief Operating Officer for Europe, Russia and Israel at the time. He gave me that opportunity with Didier, and you know, I never really looked back. It was mostly some of the most fundamental four years of my life. Bouncing around Europe, we had 16 hotels when we started. We finished with 33. We integrated Kimpton into, the, into Europe from the US, and we launched a white label brand called the QO in Amsterdam. I learned a lot about brand, people, culture, development, operations, all of that. And I certainly learned about managing that in different time zones, different countries, different languages, and ultimately learning how to manage people of different cultures actually became hugely interesting to me. Like I really challenged myself to learn that. And again, you know, go back to that learning, that young mentality that I had, which is always asking why. Put yourself in jobs that are stretching you and testing you, because that's that's in my world how I thrive, not for everyone, but for me that was it. Yeah. You know, suddenly I've gone regional three hotels in the north running some golf courses, one hotel in London, boom, 16 hotels all around Europe. Do you speak French, German, Italian? No, let's go for it then and see how yeah. we get on. Um, That's exactly the same as, have you done golf before, right? Yeah, well yeah, the difference is, uh, you know, I mostly could swing a club, I don't know if I want to try German just yeah. off the bat, right? So. Um, and, and here, here I found myself. This role is where I found out who Paul really was. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a humbling experience to go through some of those highs and lows that get you there. The tiredness of traveling, dealing with multiple time zones. And I'd never been so excited. I actually, that's most probably defining wise, one of the jobs that I most romantically look back on. There's my chef job. There's working at Langham's, there's... Uh, my first GM's job, my first five-star job, but this as a as a big role uh, was huge. Yeah, and you know I made some mistakes along the way. Uh, Stephen will remind you of those. I hope you have the chance to speak to him. Uh, he still <laughs> reminds me to this day, uh, which but I'm grateful. And I think working with Stephen was uh, was mostly one of the biggest shifts for me. Working with a leader that was very self-aware and equally. You know, he's a Glaswegian that gives very direct advice. Uh, and sometimes you want to hear it and sometimes you don't want to hear it, but you always need to hear it. And yeah. I think that's, I learned that quite quickly. Um, so working with Stephen again was a real privilege. Uh, working with Stephen, sorry, was a real privilege. And having that opportunity to learn multiple sites, multiple languages, opening new hotels. You know, I'd done Village Warsaw, you know, Junction 10 off the M6. Suddenly we're in Paris with bricks and mortar and it's like, you know, it's a tad different, but the concept's the same. It's still, you know, the value of how you build it and structure it was still the same. So I grew up a lot, I think. Uh, I did a lot of my maturing through IHG, particularly learning how to sit in a matrix and learning how to sit in a global company and learning that sometimes you have to conform. And actually what I learned more than anything is that you don't. You know, I was, uh, I was an outcast in IHG in terms of I sat outside of the head nodding agreeing. I wanted to create something in Indigo and Kimpton and the QO that sat differently, that felt different. 
And as a global company, there's a sterilization of those ideas. And you can rage against the machine for so long, but you know, you are a, you know, maybe there's two or three of you with a similar voice against a global organization. So, you know, I, I owe IHG that ability to learn in that. Um, and I also owe IHG for teaching me actually what was important to me, particularly through personal values and growth and being able to have a voice. And even if sometimes the voice doesn't get heard, making sure that you champion those ideas and it's important yeah. that you do. Yeah. And you know, sometimes ideas are good, sometimes ideas are bad. And it's no, it's no bad thing having them knocked back, but it's just trying to understand that why. It goes back to my fascination with why it didn't work. Um, so I actually was great, loved it. Really, really shapely part of my career. I moved, we went actually, I actually went through a restructure and myself, Stephen, and a few of the other guys went through, well, a lot of the other guys went through a redundancy process. So I was made redundant. That was first time, so that was a really humbling experience. Yeah, yeah. At that, that ironically, incredibly well-timed because it landed at the same time that my second son was due, Jack. Uh, so I fundamentally had a period of time off where I was full-time dad, doing my podcast, yeah. helping out some businesses along the way. And I got to a stage where I was just playing with a few bits, keeping my mind active. Um, Fick Racket. Yeah, Fick Racket yeah. became, uh, which is Swedish for Pocket Rocket. Um, I was going to ask you where the hell that name yeah, came yeah, from. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool, right? Um, yeah. And we did, we did a load of things, you know, it was a little business. We helped uh, some restaurants open, we helped brand some hotels, we helped work with some really good organisations. And I loved it. You know, I was able to do what I want, when I wanted, how I wanted. What that never gave me was the stress or the the... The kind of excitement that, that I'd had, that sort right. of that bit I was in in IHG, where I had that huge portfolio that needed a lot of attention and work. And well, at the time, fundamentally, I was with my son, which was amazing. So as a father, best time of my life, right? Most shapely time of my life. The business was great. Arling Night. We refer to it as the summer of love because it was really sunny. We were all, you know, it was great. Arling had started her own company by then as well. So we're, you know, it's it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. But there was always that little thing missing, and that little thing was, you know, the definition of what I built my career on to get to there. Yep. So um, I got approached to go and work for, a, ironically, a garden centre company called Dobby's. Now it seems really out of nature to do it, and I was like, you know, the approach was interesting, but what it was, it was the biggest job I've ever had. So it was running fundamentally 70 restaurants across the UK that, at the time, were all counter-service restaurants and being involved with the largest group of people that I'd ever had, the biggest teams I'd ever had. So from a senior leadership role, it was a learning experience. So I jumped in, I was like, yeah. The vision was to move them all to table service restaurants. So I was like, okay, I can, I've got a legacy here. I can come in, biggest job I've ever had, really senior job, shape all of these restaurants, shape the culture, and go for it. Yeah. Uh, worked with a guy called Graham, who was my CEO, and we got we got to it, you know, we really got stuck in fundamentally changing the operation. And you know, you were serving tens of thousands of people a day. So this wasn't this wasn't an operation where it was five people in a Michelin style restaurant. This was ten thousand people buying a two pound fifty scone. Yeah. So it was volume, hard volume, hard, hard volume. That's a big change from yeah, the counter huge. to the table. But I needed to learn it. I needed to learn managing on scale. I needed to learn production on mass. I, it was it was a string to my bow I didn't have. Yeah. And equally, how do you then change the culture and offer within that for a group of guests that are quite rigid in their ways and a group of team members that had always done it that way? Um, so, yeah, we did our first restaurant conversion. We opened. Uh, 600 seater restaurant order at the table. Jeez. You know, we were in, you know, we ripped the plaster off pretty quick and dirty. 
and learn. I remember the first day I was there, I was like, okay, this is looking good. An hour later, I'm on the pass trying to work out how I've got like three and a half thousand checks to deal with. Um, so that night, there was certainly a regrouping after that night. Yeah. Because uh, no test ever ramps up for actually what it's like. Yeah. And we've done loads of tests. And my legacy leaving there was over half of the estate had moved to it and the rest of it was under refurbishment. So right. I'd done what I needed to do and achieved it and learned it. Yeah, it's really shapely. A lot of lessons learned there, you know, a lot of lessons in terms of approach, a lot of lessons at senior leadership, a lot of lessons on managing change at scale. So yeah, really good. And I'm really glad that I did it. Uh, people think that it looks weird on the CV, but it only looks weird if you don't understand the intent that's behind it. And I think yeah. all too often we judge people's careers on a CV without judging their story that sits behind it. And yeah, the yeah. story's yeah, actually yeah. more important. Couldn't agree more. The first question I ask in an interview is, I've read your CV, tell me the story, because that's what's more important to me. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's so exactly what I do as well. That's, hey, that's why I have a podcast. It's kind of your gig, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I had, uh, I'd gone through this process and I came out the other side of it. Really had a had a good time at Dobby's, and then Stephen called Stephen McCall. Stephen was working as chief executive officer for Eden. We'd actually spoken a few times leading up to this, and there was a director of operations role on the table. The guys were just expanding into Europe. Yep. Uh, I loved the brand. Like, I yeah. thought Locke and Eden uh, were absolutely stunning. Uh, come and stayed a couple of times. Met Stephen and Eric here uh, a couple of times uh, in Bermondsey. And the Europe expansion, so it was back to that sweet spot that I had of opening and running hotels within Europe. It took about a nanosecond for me to accept it. <laughs> like a split. One, the privilege of working with Stephen again, bearing in mind you know, I know he was a straight-talking guy, so wouldn't have you back if there wasn't an intent behind it. Yeah. A young brand that is evolving and shaping and um, ultimately moving back into Europe. So, yeah. so uh, And here I am today, sitting in front of you, telling that story. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, what I love about the um, your story is, is this sort of underriding thing of you clearly don't enjoy comfort. And I mean that in a yeah, po- yeah. positive way. I don't mean as in, uh, you know, up, feet up with Netflix. I enjoy luxury. That was a different thing to comfort. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, a really cracking story. One thing that we, uh, that came up in in my research was uh, a stint at Disney Institute. Yeah, that intrigued. What the hell is that all about? Uh, so it was. A, I think at the time it was um, it was being offered by Devere. So uh, right. we had the opportunity. I think there were eight of us that were chosen to go through the Disney Institute, and what the Disney Institute gave you was the pure service lens, like genuine how you, how you look at service, how you sort of have a relentless approach to hospitality in any way, shape or form. Yep. Uh, and equally, it taught me a lot about how you recruit people based on personality rather than a stereotype or how you... Or CV. Yeah, or CV <laughs> or, or, you know, that ability to be able to find great people. And that's what Disney does really well, right, through great selection days. So yeah, I, you know, I love the Disney Institute. You know, could I have done Disney? Would I have done Disney? I think I'd have dressed up as a character and loved it. But uh, <laughs> I don't think for longevity would have been me. But yeah, the Disney Institute really, really gave me that grounding. This has actually given me the, the second opportunity to make the point that on a previous podcast, um, we were all forgetting Raymond Blanc and Winnie the Pooh outfit. So I'm putting that out there again. Yeah, I think that's getting, good. Yeah, yeah, I'm still visualizing it. It will come true. Look, let's make it happen, right? <laughs> what's, what's in store for Eden and Locke in the, in the coming year um, slash you know, beyond? We're opening seven new hotels this year. 
five next year, five the year after at the moment. So, you know, Eden, Eden's approach, the LOC's approach, you know, we are a people-centric business, soulful hospitality is what we're about. So first of all, defining how that hospitality is delivered is a huge part of what we're doing. Redefining the design space is a huge part of it. If you look on our website, have a look at our properties, you'll see that really articulated brilliantly. And for us, a lot of us are corporate refugees that sit around that table. So there's a lot of us that want to create a business built on values that mean something to us. And uh, you know, my example I used at the beginning where we spent half a day talking about team members and the approach to that and our approach to our culture, I think is a hugely valuable part of what we do. So yeah. for me now, um, I won't tell you what my next two steps are because uh, you know it's all part of that internalization. But I've got a clear direction of what I want to achieve. I've got a clear passion for this business. Um, and Stephen asked me the other day how I feel, and I said I feel dead at home. Like I genuinely have moved into a role that I'm sat here doing an interview on a work day in a pair of t-shirt, in a t-shirt and a pair of jeans, feeling very at home and very comfortable in an environment that I love, uh, surrounded by people that I'm inspired by, so tell me something better than that. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the one thing from the outside looking in when the announcement was made that you were joining as Director of Ops. Not that at that time I knew so much about the brand, and you and I have had a few dealings yeah. with over the years, um, but from the outside looking in, it felt like a real coming together uh, in terms of what you're all about. You're, I mean, you're a force of nature. And I mean that again in a positive, uh, like you've got fantastic energy towards the industry. And, but you can only get that if you're in the right space, right? Yeah. You don't get that same energy and passion if you're not where you're supposed to be. And, and to me, it feels like you are exactly where you need to be right I now. I genuinely feel that as well. And thank you for calling that out. You know, for me, you've got to have pride in what you do. It's got to align to your personal values. It's got to mean something to you. Yeah. And here I'm surrounded by a group of people that all want the same thing. And we all want to make the industry better. We all want to redefine how we look after people, how we deliver hospitality, how we design businesses. And all of us have got a level of pride that comes with that as well. So, you know, I've never, I've never felt, and the word is not comfortable because I certainly do not feel comfortable because uh, <laughs> there's so much going on. But I've never, that balance I talk about between headiness of stress and excitement, that sort of knife edge that I trade on, here I've got that, and either side I've got a comfort blanket of people who I know will pick me up if ever they need to. Yeah, yeah, that's worth its weight in gold. Brilliant. Well, look, there's so many other questions I'd love to ask, but I'm very conscious. Maybe, maybe, there's, maybe there's episode two. We'll come do it. We'll, we'll do a part two. Yeah, there you go. Because I'm that? sure there's a lot more stories we can get into. But, um, <laughs> I don't know how many I'll tell openly, but yeah, there's well, definitely a few of them. I'd love the uh, little tagline on your podcast, actually, around uh, some random stories involving drinking. So we'll definitely lots come, of those. We'll yeah, come lots back of and those, talk yeah. about that another time. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing thanks, your man. story you so, so far. With, uh, with us and um, wish you all the very best for the, the well the reopenings and beyond thanks man thank, it's been a real pleasure and thank you for having me on you're very welcome have a good one cheers cheers and there we have it an all action non-stop chat with Paul who has clearly been strategic in his career building and is totally reaping the benefits get yourself over to a lock near you if you haven't done so already don't forget we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality but until then thanks for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>